Welcome to Reconciled Heart Podcast, where you will be encouraged to know Jesus, grow in the Word, heal from hurts, and love like Christ. My name is Nadesh Forlu, and this is the first official episode, other than the uh, the welcome episode I did a couple months ago. And this one was supposed to drop last month, but life happens, and I spent the greater the end of last month taking care of my grandmother and just couldn't make that deadline and you could probably hear in my voice I'm a little tired (laughs) and it's coming through in my voice my throat is a little dry but I really wanted to get this out today so we're just gonna do it so I'm glad I didn't make any promises as far as scheduling is concerned but I'm so grateful you're able to tune in today to listen to this episode Um, And if you like what you listen to, please do, uh, well, thumbs up it and share with a sister friend. So as you probably guessed from the title, the question I want to walk through in this episode is, does the Bible say, call those things that be not as though they were? And the short answer is yes and no. (laughs) It does and it doesn't. And today I want to briefly talk through that and why it matters how we interpret that verse. Now, I am not a theologian nor a scholar. I am a Christian who desires to know God's word so that I can best apply it to my life. If I don't know his word, then it becomes a lot more challenging to apply it. And like I sometimes say, our theology is not some abstract idea in the sky. It will influence how we live our day-to-day lives and how we live within relationships with other people. So if you have read my first blog on the ReconciledHeart.com website, then you probably know that much of my faith was influenced by word of faith and prosperity theology. And I didn't even realize that until a few years ago. And while Romans, the book of Romans, was my favorite book, (laughs) even then, I also read much of it through the lens of the word faith worldview. And that can cause a bit of a mess. It can cause some confusion and a bit of a mess. So I'll first read the passage we'll be talking about today and let it speak for itself and say what it says. Then I want to address what it does not say. And lastly, I want to walk through how a misreading of it could affect us and maybe pull on a little example from my own life. So now I'm going to read Romans chapter 4, verses 17. And this first one is going to come from the King James Version. And this is what it says. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. And in the NIV It reads, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He, that is Abraham, is our father 
in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. End of quote. So the first thing I notice from reading this verse is that call things that be not as though they were is only half a sentence. <laughs> as many of you may know, the Bible was not originally written with verses as we know it today. So it is crucial to read around verses to understand what's going on. Rule of thumb is... Never create an entire doctrine out of one Bible verse and talk less half a sentence of a Bible verse. So in this passage, it is clear that God is the one who made Abraham the father of nations and that God is the one who gives life to the dead. And we see an example of this when God gave life to Sarah's womb, which was as good as dead so that she could bear a child. And later on, God raised Jesus from death back to life. God is also the one who calls into being things that are not as though they were. For one, he spoke the world into being, out of nothing. Many of us Christians are Gentiles, but we were once enemies of God. Yet he called Abraham the father of nations in anticipation that he being God, would provide the lamb that would be slain and everyone who would believe in the lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, whether male or female, would become children of God and the seed of Abraham. And that is through that shared faith we have in Christ. So now on to what this verse is not saying. <laughs> So many Christians have been taught that this verse is a prescription to Christians, calling them to create the reality they want to see through the power of their words. So, for example, if you're desiring a house, a new car, a spouse, career success, just speak it out and you will have what you say. And even if it does not exist in the physical world, it already exists in the spirit world. So call what be not as though they were. Call it from the spirit realm into reality and it will manifest. Call forth money into your bank account. Speak to your body and tell it how long you want to live. Speak healing over your body and you will receive your healing. Whatever you say, you will have. And if you don't say it, well, you won't have it because... God needs your words to get things going. And this is just a summary of some of the interpretations of this verse that the verse actually doesn't say. It doesn't explicitly say these things in the verse, but many of us and many Christians are being taught that this is how we apply Romans 4.17. And here is one quote from a very well-known preacher known by many as one of the fathers of the faith today in some communities, in some Christian communities. And it literally took me like five seconds to find this quote because it is so prevalent on his website and throughout his teachings. 
And here's what it says, and I'm going to quote here. And I quote, This is your moment, the time to call things that be not as though they were, not tomorrow, not when things look better. Now, you've been standing and believing, maybe for a long time. But if you haven't seen your manifestation, the hard truth is that the problem isn't on God's end of the equation. It's on yours. We've all been there. And it is a fight to get to the other side. That's why it's called the fight of faith. There are many things you can do to be sure you're perfectly aligned for your blessing. But one important step you must take is that which Abraham took to move his promise into manifestation. That step is calling things that be not as though they were. <laughs> to get you started, well, anyway, yeah. And then he goes on to list 30 Bible scriptures which supposedly will help build up your faith so that you can now be able to speak and claim the promises of God into your life. And that's how, um, that's, that's how that pretty much goes down. Now I told you all that I was in Maryland taking care of my grandma last week and she has been sick for so many years. I don't know, way more than 20 years. And my grandmother is probably the most faithful woman I have ever met. And she's, she's 93 years old right now. And every single morning, she still wakes up, reads her Bible, prays, does her devotional, prays for her family, even for her enemies. She and the whole family has been praying for her healing for way over 20 years. And while I was there, she kept saying how many of her friends have passed away. Even the people who wanted to kill her because she was preaching the gospel in their villages in Cameroon. As some of you may know, I'm Cameroonian. I was born in Cameroon before I came to the U.S. And my grandma was, I guess, a missionary to her people. After she got witnessed to and accepted Christ, she began to minister, travel and minister and encourage and disciple other women in the villages, just like her father did. And yes, she faced many persecutions, some of which led to physical sicknesses in her body, attacks from witch doctors and whatnot. But here I am in Maryland and my grandma is talking about how so many of the people who even wanted to kill her, who threatened to kill her, who tried to attack her in the night and in the daytime, many are dead. And here she is, she's still alive. Then she would say, but she is ready to go. She's ready to go be with the Lord. But she doesn't know why God continues to keep her here. All she knows is that her life is in God's hands. And I guess she says this because many days she's in so much pain. She's gone through many medical procedures. And she's aging and pretty much I guess she's getting tired of this world maybe. Um, but then she would pray and she would say out loud, Lord, if you have not taken this pain away from me all these years, please keep my heart so that I do not turn away from you. That's all I want now is to enter your presence. In one way or another, this has pretty much been the echo of my grandma's prayers. 
Now, according to this post from this website here, from this faith leader, my grandma never got her health or her healing because she did not use faith words to call her healing into manifestation. Not just my family. Let's consider all the people who are suffering from something or have lost loved ones to some form of chronic illness like cancer or whatever. Or all the families in developing countries going to sleep hungry today. According to this article, which was written by Kenneth Copeland's ministry, it is pretty much their fault. <laughs> it is their fault that they do not have food to eat, no matter what nation they're in. And it is their fault if someone died of sickness or if they died of sickness and did not receive healing. It is their fault if life if they're pretty much not living their best life right now, it is their fault. Now, the irony here is that the first few verses of Romans 4 are saying the exact opposite to what that website is implying. Paul is basically saying that Abraham did not do anything to earn the grace of God and therefore has nothing to boast about. He simply believed God. Then verses 4 to 8 says, and I quote, I'm going to read, I'm going to read the whole thing. Well, I'm going to read 4 to 8. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, but trusts God, but trusts God. I had to echo that a few times who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. And that's Romans verse is four or Romans chapter four, rather verses four to eight. So Abraham grew strong in faith. He didn't just have faith in his own mental capacity to think in a certain direction. And he definitely did not speak words to manifest his son into being. He had faith in God. He trusted in God to do what God said he would do and fulfill his own promises. And that is God fulfilling the promises he made to Abraham, which was ultimately the promise of the son of God. God was planning to send his own son to provide the way for his people to inherit the heavenly promised land. And this is also explained in Hebrews 11, and that is why we read that Abraham, along with all the heroes of the faith mentioned in Hebrews 11, it says that they died without seeing the promise. So the promise then was much bigger than just Isaac or just some quick material thing that Abraham could have possessed. In fact, Galatians 3.8 states that Abraham was preached the gospel. It reads from verse 7. Know then 
that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And then if you move on to verse 14 of Galatians chapter 3, it says, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And Paul goes on to explain even more why the promised offspring to Abraham was ultimately Christ. This was all God's idea and God's plan from the very start to the very finish. Abraham was simply the vessel God chose to use. Abraham didn't think up any of this. He didn't think up some great idea to then start speaking out so as to convince God to make it come to pass. God called Abraham. Abraham didn't call himself. And God made Abraham the promise. So then God fulfilled his word to Abraham, fulfilling the promises. Abraham did not make a promise to himself. Abraham simply believed that God will do what he has already planned out and has already promised that he will do. He will keep his own word. And this is where I think I want to bring this home. <laughs> While this could apply to everyone and oh my goodness, forgive me for my throat. It's so dry right now. I am a little exhausted. <laughs> But let's keep going. So while this could apply to everyone, my platform is primarily for women. So my language, I would like to have my language directed mostly to women and, you know, just speak freely in that direction. Um, so anyway, as women, we are already in a culture that is sending us a lot of mixed messages and a lot of lies, really. And it is encouraging us to pursue things that are often not the will of God for us. It is already increasingly challenging even for Christian women to trust in the sovereignty of God in a society that tells them that they should be in control of their own lives. If you look at the new age and Wicca, for instance, it is bombarded with women. We want to be able to make sense of our lives and feel significant and feel a sense of security. We want to feel enough and successful, whatever that even means. And as a woman, I completely empathize with feeling insignificant, underlooked, disqualified, underappreciated, overwhelmed, and just tired. <laughs> tired of not always knowing what lies ahead. So I get it. I get how we can feel that way sometimes on this side of heaven and with all the responsibilities and demands. And it could feel like we are constantly on the chase for that thing, that thing that will be the thing that makes it all make sense and work out just right, just the way we want. And if you are Christian, you may find yourself in the same quest, except sometimes we call that thing breakthrough. We are always on the quest for the next breakthrough and then the next one and then the next breakthrough and always waiting for that next breakthrough. 
and sometimes miss out on what God is doing in our lives right now. But like I always say, it's all fun and games until somebody gets hurt. It's all working just fine until it is not. And these external pursuits become neither sustainable or consistent. And I feel that there will come a time when the mixed messages will lead women to the point of exhaustion. And when that happens, I would so like to think that they can run to a church or a body of believers and be taught the way of the Lord, that there they will learn about the peace and rest that comes through Christ and cast their burdens before him, that they will exchange their anxieties and their hustles for trust in the sovereignty of God. But it genuinely breaks my heart to know that some women will run to a church in search for rest and be met with just a different set of hoops, self-help formulas, and mixed messages that could tangle them in another kind of way. And I honestly feel that this is one way that the misreading of passages like Romans 4, 17 can wreck someone's faith. It tells people that it is up to them to make things happen. And that is the misreading, not the verse itself. But the misreading of this verse can lead people to think that it is up to them to make things happen in their lives, to create their reality, to manifest their desires. And if they are not living the life they dreamed of, well, it's all their fault. It is all your fault. And what this does is it completely disregards the sovereignty of God in our lives. It leaves no room for his will and purposes to be done in our lives because we demand our own will and desires be met, how we think they should be met. People will be taught to lean on themselves to save themselves. And this could lead many, in the words of one of my favorite preachers, it could lead them to object despair or to a terrible form of arrogance. And I feel so strongly about this because I have tasted both ends of that pendulum. I have swung both ends of that pendulum and I've been hit on both sides of that pendulum real hard. So to pull from my own life now, um, I have a few examples, to be honest, a few stories to tell, uh, but I'm just gonna give one short I guess a short story from my own life of how something like this can kind of play out. So shortly after I got married, I got pregnant. A few weeks later, that pregnancy ended in a miscarriage. Then I got pregnant again. And just as I was about to enter into the second trimester, another miscarriage. Then sickness upon sickness, I was in the ER three times and we were fast piling up on medical bills. And this was only within year one of marriage, just year one. And with every pregnancy, I would hear these words, you will give birth like the Hebrew women. <laughs> okay, so to backtrack a bit, growing up in the church cultures that I'm from or in the, yeah, in the culture pretty much that I'm from, 
Most young girls are taught from as early as Sunday school that because we are children of God, daughters of Zion, seeds of Abraham, we are blessed and therefore would give birth like the Hebrew women. And sometimes after delivering a child, women who had smooth pregnancies and smooth birth processes would come up front of the church and testify before everyone how they faced this and that challenge, but then they spoke out what they wanted to happen. And how they would repeat to themselves, God, you promised that I would give birth like the Hebrew women. And it all worked out perfectly in their favor. And they got exactly what they wanted. And the young girls or newlyweds will covet that. Mothers would receive that for their children. Some people would even give an offering alongside the testifying woman to attract that same kind of blessing in their own life or in the lives of their children, whether born or unborn, you know, for the future. Now, this supposed birth promise comes from Exodus 1. And I'm, I'm going to try not to deviate so much from Romans, but I'm, I'm going to just talk about Exodus 1 a little bit here because it really is the same concept. In Exodus 1, Pharaoh commanded the midwives to kill all the male children of the Hebrew women when delivering them because he didn't want somebody to be born, you know, that will take over him. The Hebrews were becoming too many. He didn't want them to, I don't know, take over pretty much and start a fight against his people, his kingdom. So, and the Bible says, because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's order and instead let the male children live. That's uh, verse Exodus 1 verse 18. But when Pharaoh confronted the women, they pretty much said, these Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They give birth so fast that when they call us to come, by the time we get there, they have already given birth to their babies. These midwives feared God, but it's safe to say they also feared for their lives. So they pretty much made up a story to tell Pharaoh so that he wouldn't kill them. This chapter in nowhere claims that the Hebrew women had smooth, complication-free pregnancies and births, or that they experienced maternity in any way distinct from Egyptian women. Maybe some did, but that's not clearly stated in this scripture, and definitely not an explicit promise God made through the scripture to Christians today. So here I am with my third pregnancy now. And I think by this time I was already looking into some things because of a random thought that dropped into my mind and led me to go through Exodus 1. And I realized that giving birth like the Hebrew women was not even a thing. <laughs> and saying it repeatedly with all conviction does not change the fact that we live in a fallen world where casualties happen even to the most faithful of believers. But someone's faith could be shipwrecked when they experience the exact opposite of what they thought was a promise from God. Some women carry shame to the point that they hide the fact that they have experienced miscarriages or birthing complications or marital struggles or prodigal children, whatever, in order that no one thinks they have little faith or they lack faith or they did something to call that upon themselves and this kind of faith 
in quotes, isolates people and too often leads them to suffer alone. So you are supposed to call forth these things. And if everyone believes without wavering and does all the right things and honors all the right people and gives all the right amounts and marries the right person, then they should have the right birth experience. And for some women, they almost fantasize about that birth process. How they give birth is almost a mark of their faith. And another danger here is that we are tempted to take the glory when things go well and boast in all the things that we did to make things happen the way they did. So fast forward again to when I finally had my first child. She was a week overdue and I had been induced and in labor and my civics would not budge. <laughs> they eventually manually broke my water and after many hours began setting up for a C-session. I was nervous about recovering from the knife, so I really didn't want to go under a knife. But I was even more nervous about giving up on my faith for normal, in quotes, normal birth. We asked for a little more time. They kept checking and still civics wouldn't budge. And after another few hours, they could not take the chance. The nurse decided for surgery and I accepted that. And for whatever reason, she did a quick check as she was about to prep for surgery and I was fully dilated just like that in no time. They moved fast, I started pushing, and in less than 15 minutes, the baby was out. See, I thought my faith had to believe for a natural birth, though I already knew by now that it wasn't a biblical promise and it wasn't a promise God made to me that I would give birth that way. But I guess I was wrestling with my health and my doctrine in that hospital room. Now, God in his mercy allowed me give birth without a cut. But I knew enough to know that it had nothing to do with me. I had given up on that idea. I was ready to have a cesarean and save the baby and myself. I did experience complications though. The baby almost went into distress. The cord was wrapped tightly around her neck when she came out. She experienced physical injury on the eye and I did not recover from some mobility complications until over a year after my second child was born. And I still have manageable side effects until today. And I remember how the nurse gasped and her eyes looked white before she told me that the placenta had fully separated. We were not sure for how long, but what that meant was that the baby was no longer getting oxygen or nutrients from me. Imagine it was about 24 hours after I was induced that I gave birth. When I heard about the placenta, my body went cold. The thought that we could have lost this one on the very last day and I would have lived with the guilt of not accepting a C-session sooner to save the situation, that terrified me. It was as if God knew that preparing for a C-session at that point would be too long with the state the baby was in, and he just shoved her out to us so quickly. God in his mercy saved us both despite my misplaced and distorted idea of faith. God saved us. He did it. 
There are so many stories I could share and all the areas we think we are in control of. And there are lessons that 2020 really should have taught us. One is that we are ultimately not in control. God is. He is the sovereign one. He calls things into being. He calls us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We could not call ourselves. We were dead men and women. He raises men and women who are dead in sin and gives them new life in Christ. And when life doesn't look the way we anticipate, or when we face troubles and pains, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which we can lay our heads and rest in him. So yes, in reference to God, the Bible says he calls those things that be not as though they were. But in reference to us, the created ones, it does not say we can or should call the things that be not as though they were in such a way that we can speak out whatever we desire and and it will manifest into reality. Sometimes the will of God for us will contradict our desires. What we can and should do is declare the written word of God in its true meaning and in its true context and believe that it will come to pass because he honors his word. Anyway, there's so much more I want to share about the aspect of faith, but I just can't do that in one recording. And I know I brushed through some things a little too superficially, but I would really like to keep my episodes under 30 minutes unless it's an interview. So I'm thinking I might eventually do several recordings and compile them together, maybe in like a faith series or playlist on YouTube. So just stick around and I'm sure some things will come up repeatedly as I try to build on things I say over time and bring more clarity. But do feel free to send me an email if you have feedback or questions. Or just send a Facebook message and I'll do my best to respond or direct you to someplace more um, helpful for you. And if you have pushback or correction, I'm open to that too. We are all learning together. We're growing together and, and that's okay. And I am open to correction if there's one thing I've learned in the past couple years. It is that there is much room for growth for me when it comes to my faith and how it's been applied. And I am so open to hearing from you um, as we help each other and sharpen each other in that area. So for now, please do like this episode and subscribe. If you have not already, do share with a sister friend so that we can together get to know Jesus, grow in his word, heal from hurts and love like Christ. Until next time. Bye-bye.